In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. All right, hey everybody, this is Cody from Blood Origins. Um, back with a special guest today. We've got a couple of cool things to uh, kind of release, but uh, we're going to get into some um, legislative issues here in Colorado first with uh, who's kind of be uh, a person who's kind of become a friend of the show. Now, you've been with us a couple of times or one time before, Dan, maybe two. Dan Gates. Um, Dan runs a uh, company called. Uh, Colorado Ritter Critter um, out of Canyon City, Colorado, which happens to be about 20 minutes from where I live, but uh, may maybe not more importantly to Dan's uh, checking account, but more importantly to me regarding Dan, I also think he's one of the people that's fighting the hardest for us um, against some you picked a good state to fight for hunting and fishing in because it seems like we've got more than our share of uh, of people who are against us. Would you say that? Do you say that's fair, Dan? That Colorado seems to have more than it's... I would, this was never a thing in Kansas. I never felt the push in Kansas at all. Am I just older and paying more attention? 
or is there more of a pushback in Colorado than in other states? No, I think, uh, Cody, first and foremost, uh, thanks for having me on, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I think your your observation is 100% correct. The Colorado has changed significantly over the course of the last two decades. And while there might have been a little bit of a push in the movement, uh, you know, a little bit before then, uh, I would I would mention the the plan of action that is that was laid out since 2000, the year 2000, and how that's actually come to uh, fruition at this point in time was actually laid out by this go- governor and and his minions when he was a congressman and uh, on the federal level. And there's a book, and I don't want to give anybody you know prelude uh, credit to anything, but there's a book called The Blueprint. And, and what has happened in Colorado was scripted out through the, the, the confines of these individuals that wanted to see Colorado become what it is today. And, and it was, the intent was to change it from a red state to a blue state. And when they get done with that, they want to move to Utah, and they want to move to Arizona and New Mexico and Wyoming and Montana and Idaho and all the other states. And, and what has followed with that on the conservation side has been an attempt to change the, the, the concept of what wildlife management and natural resource management is and create an agenda to stop everything that you and I and everybody listening to this podcast hold dear, near and dear to their heart. Uh, and it's, it's something to where it's strategized, it's calculated, it's well-formatted, it's laid out, and they are in the process of, of uh, completing their task uh, maybe, maybe to some degree, before this governor finishes his second term uh, in the next three and a half years. What's their like? Why do you think they picked so much? Is it just because they think that hunting and fishing is a is a red thing? Like, or or it was an easy thing to latch onto. Loving the animals is an easy thing to latch onto and garner support. Like, I don't understand why. A, a blueprint, I understand it. This is not a, I'm not trying to contradict what you're saying, but I don't get why they chose hunting and angling and trapping so much as their, as their platform to go against in the state of Colorado. It seems like it's every day there's something. That- well, and it is. And, and, and the agenda that comes along with that is with the governor's um, husband, his spouse. And he is a full-blown left-wing animal activist, and he has friends that they have they have gotten appointed and put into different positions. And their their ideology is to stop all consumptive use. Uh, they wouldn't have any problem making this a sanctuary state. What was like attempted to be in Oregon, uh, and and whether it's rodeo or whether it's zoos or whether it's uh, cattle production and agriculture and and uh, pet ownership, uh, use of dogs and hunting, uh, they don't want you to have anything to do with any animal unless it's by their guidelines and their perspectives and their ideologies. That's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that how, how political a thing that I guess to me seems so mad. It just seems to me like, uh, one of my favorite things about it ever. I'm not even a, a, a giant Steve Rinella fan. Um, but he, the, there's a, this video that I've talked about before where he's on, it's a YouTube video and he's at a book signing and a guy asks him, you know, a guy tries to bait him at the book signing. He goes into the question and answer period at one of his book signings at a bookstore. And the guy says something to the effect of, you know, how could you, how could you promote killing these animals? 
And Ranella says to him, you know, not hunting is the most unnatural thing that humans do. Because it's, it's, if you look at the span of human beings on earth, which there's now arguments, you know, whether it's three, there's evidence now of bipedal beings hunting with weapons 2.3 million years ago, whatever, right? And that's Brunella's point is anyone that doesn't hunt is the most unnatural, it's the most unnatural way to get your sustenance is not hunting. Because in the history of humans, there's this little tiny blip all the way to the end where there was even people that didn't hunt because every, you know, it's, it's, it blows my mind that that's the route that they take. Um, but I do, I do think it's just a lot of it, a lot of animal, a lot of animal rights activists, extremists, I think have just discovered what a gold mine it is to claim that you're helping the animals. Well, there's a lot of people getting rich playing off of other folks' hard-earned money by claiming that they're helping the animals. And, and not only claiming, but wanting to impose their beliefs on your particular lifestyle. Right. And when you look at the historical component, like you referenced, you know, back in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, uh, during the Depression and then World War II, uh, we were still a fairly sustainable personal subsistence type of, of a, a society. A lot of farms, a lot of, you know, mamas and dads went out and got chickens and they knew where the grandma's on, on Sunday and they went out and said, grab a rooster and you kill the rooster. And then somebody went and got milk. And, and then after World War II, we started to change an ideology perspective from the industrialization of it. And people started living in more houses. They went to the grocery store more frequently. I mean, they always went to a market. But not they, they, there was no dependency, right? And and to to your point, the people that are in charge of our of our government agencies now, or the or just run the government period, they're looking at things from an emotional standpoint. The caveman didn't have an emotion part of it. He worried about if he was going to clothe himself, if he was going to eat, and what he was going to turn around and eat the next day, and what he was going to have to kill. Nobody has to worry about that today. It's it's how we choose to live. But there are certain individuals in certain sectors of the population that want to impose their beliefs on how we live, what we do, when we do it, where we do it, and with whom we do it. And I don't care whether it's leather seats and a Cadillac Escalade or a gas stove, or if you want to eat beef, or if you want to eat Beyond Burger, which is some sort of you know uh, generic test tube type look like meat. Right. Uh, they want they want to tell you what to do and how to do it. And the best way to do it is take it away. Take the options away. Take the management away for wildlife. Take the ability for domesticated wildlife or domesticated animals to be raised. Take it away. And then we're forced to do what they want us to do. No, 100%. And, and not only take it away, but make it evil. Oh, yeah. Like make, make, make hunting, make, make beef agriculture, pork agriculture, chicken. You know, make agriculturally raised meat evil. You know, not only is it evil to the animals, it's, it's cows are, cows farts are ruining the environment and, oh, yeah. to, you know, just things that blow my mind. And how awesome would it be if all those people with all that power and money were helping people instead of attacking people? The, the, it, it's never, I can't wrap my, I always try to look at the other side. And as I get older, I try to be even better about it and try and understand 
why the people that I'm debating with think the way they think. It, I'll admit that, that not in this argument in particular, but in times, by listening to the other side, I've realized that they were only half wrong, and I was half wrong in some things. You know, you I mean you can grow from that, but I can't wrap my head around how, you know, that we're going to have to battle again to be able to control mountain lions and bobcats in Colorado. You know, the the fact that someone thinks that their legislative salary, a portion of it should be used to try and outlaw mountain lion hunting in Colorado. Though those things blow my mind that there's people sitting up there thinking that right now. And and when you look at the when you look at the animal activist uh, agenda and the coalitions that they built over the course of the last fifty years, they figured out a playbook that works fairly effectively. When you when you look at white wildlife commissions, when you look at legislation with with elected officials, when you look at ballot initiatives, and they've got a three pronged approach or three stools to the leg that they can turn around and throw at you and figure out what they can do to get something that is going to be uh, to more to their liking, and and that you are going to suffer in the process. They they really don't care, except for taking it away, and and it doesn't matter to them how they do it, when they do it, how much it costs, and who they have to sacrifice in the process. Their goal is to stop it. And for those that say it's not, they're blatant. Right. No, absolutely. I've been I've been through that too. The, there's they are uh, they're also yeah they're pretty good at the lying part of it at the at the uh, putting up a facade, which I think is an attempt to to win the middle ground. Right. You know they have those those politically correct facades that they're not they're not trying to eliminate hunting, and their goal there is to pull some of the middle ground folks in those that really the people that are going to decide an election that middle group that's not passionate one way or the other about the thing. Um, what, what, uh, if, if I had, if you had to tell me your top concerns in the state of Colorado right now, forthcoming, um, what are, what are, what are you getting ready to fight and what should we be ready to help you fight? Well, a couple of things that people need to be aware of in Colorado and it's changing throughout the, the Western United States is we, we do have a new director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, uh, Jeff Davis, who was recently hired by Governor Polis uh, out of Washington, the state of Washington. And you know what kind of what's going on in Washington. Yeah. That's, not, that's not Nirvana. That's not uh, you know, the, the, the opportunity for the best sportswear landscape. Uh, this coming month, here in a couple of weeks, we should have notification of the three new Parks and Wildlife commissioners that shall be appointed. Uh, we've got three that were not reappointed or turned out and new ones are coming on board. That would be the first time in my time of playing in this landscape over the last 20 years that we haven't had a favorable commission. Uh, most things we've been favorable in the, in the, in the numbers of like eight to three or nine to two or 10 to one or 11 to zero, we might very well be five to six against us on any wildlife related issues. So, so things that we'd be concerned are first and foremost, what this commission would undertake. And if a citizen's petition is, is uh, directed to them, how they would vote on it. Uh, we know what they want from the oppositional side, but they've got the players in place from the governor appointments to figure out how, when, why, what, where, and what they're going to try to accomplish. In addition to that, uh, we've gotten rumors that they're trying to get, not the commission, but uh, HSUS and Wild Earth Guardians and a couple others are trying to get language together for the Secretary of State and uh, to get signatures gathered for a 2024 ballot initiative 
where the general public and the entire state gets a chance on on possibly voting on uh, a complete mountain lion ban. Uh, we don't know the language of that yet from understanding that that it was uh, uh, distributed or forwarded to the Secretary of State. And in this state, it has to be a single subject matter when it comes to ballot initiatives. We understand that they set four different options in and they had to make their own mind up. So we're not sure if it's mountain lions with hounds or mountain lions completely or mountain lions and bobcats or all fur-bearing animals and predators. We don't know, but it's but it's rumor milled that that's going to happen. Um, and then there's also a fur ban ballot initiative that's going through the city of Denver this year in 2023 that will stop the sale of fur in the city limits of Denver, which would stop the stock show, which we actually set a booth up. It would stop, stop the, the ISE sports show. It would probably adversely affect the fly tying shops in any of the places that actually sold things with fur on them. Uh, maybe cowboy hats would be considered in that because it has beaver fur in it. Right. Uh, there's a lot of people that haven't even looked at the repercussions of that. People think fur and they think fur coat. Uh, but you add those three things together that we're concerned with, and that doesn't include any potential legislation. Last year, in 2022, as you recall, you guys had us on about Senate Bill 31, where they were attempting to ban the harvest of bobcats and mountain lions. We defeated that with a unfavorable legislature four to one. And prior to that, to the three previous years, we defeated that sort of thing at the commission level, 11 to zero, 11 to zero, and 11 to zero. They decided to go legislatively and they were defeated once again. Uh, we don't know if any legislation is coming, but the, the gurus on the ballot initiative side indicate that by their recommendations, if they were running a ballot initiative, they would get all their ducks in a row. They'd do everything that they needed to do, cross their T's and dot their I's, and then run legislation because it would be cheaper. And if they failed, they've already got their armaments built up for a 2024 campaign. If they run legislation and fail before they get their ducks in a row, then they're kind of putting themselves up against the eight ball, uh, pretty hard line because of a presidential election coming in 2024. And they need to have signature gatherers in line and they need to get all their ducks in a row to make sure that they handle it appropriately. So we're under the, under, under the impression that they're going to do what they're doing now in preparation for 2024, but we still think that they're probably going to try to go back to the Parks and Wildlife Commission or legislation. A Parks and Wildlife Commission that it's highly likely it will be 11 to 0 and on our side again. No, that it's, it's going to be very, very frustrating to think that we could go in front of the Parks and Wildlife Commission and potentially lose in this state when it came to science-based wildlife management objectives on, on regulated species with regulated methods of take, with high levels of quota. Uh, and and if, we, if we did lose, then I will just tell everybody who's listening to this, you better watch out what's going to happen in other states because this is the epicenter. Colorado is the, is the turning point. If we lose what we've been able to support and sustain, if we lose it here, they don't have anything else to take away from us here. They can turn around and move to the other states and turn around and, and set a precedent. And, and just probably go uh, un unhampered in the, in the process. Right. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, amazing. it's amazing to me that that's, uh, that that's a concern. Like our, our mountain lion population is far from suffering, far from hurting, and we're still going to, we're still all the, they're going to, there's going to be millions of dollars. You go to a ballot initiative, they're going to spend millions, millions and millions and millions of dollars um, that you would just think that you could find a cause that need help 
needed help instead of creating a uh, solution to a problem that doesn't even exist blows my mind. Well, and one thing, one thing too, Cody, is, is you look at the, the Proposition 114 in 2020 about reintroduction of the gray wolf here at the state. And I sat on the stakeholder advisory group uh, to try to make sure that there was a good level-headed plan of action in place. I was appointed to that, during that process. However, uh, there's a lot of people now that if they knew what they do then, they probably wouldn't have voted for 114. My hope is that if we do go to a ballot initiative, if there's enough individuals out there to say, uh, maybe this isn't the best way to manage wildlife. Maybe we can turn around and think about leaving it up to the experts with the, with the science-based managers of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Let the data uh, show what direction to go and how to move forward. I don't know if it's enough when you start looking at that that seven-county Denver metro area that I was talking about previously. Uh, that's what turns the elections. That's what. Oh yeah. That's what, Dude, that's where it comes from. Doesn't turn the election. It totally dictates the election. Yeah. And it's a it's a it's the uh, you know the downfall of. Not the downfall. It's the 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 hyper negative of democracy is that a small majority, because it wasn't even big. It was like four million votes cast on the wolf thing, and it was decided by thirty thousand votes. It wasn't even a huge majority, but a, a, a small geographic majority, um, really dictating change. Um, on a large geographical but populate but population minority, um, and to and to that point, that that has caused us to probably worry even more uh, significantly now than what we would have previously, because it it is it has allowed the animal rights groups, the oppositional groups, to to fortify themselves and think Colorado is really a good place that we could turn around and launch our next campaign. Because hell, the voters decided they wanted wool. Well, I'm sure we can get rid of outliers. I'm sure we can get rid of bears. I'm sure we can get rid of harvested uh, predators and, and cage trapping and fur-bearing animals or whatever, just because of that one thing that happened in 2020 on the wolf issue. And I don't think I don't think our side, the cattlemen, the wool growers, the hunters, the trappers, the fishermen, I don't think they, they realized at the time how significant that turning point was actually going to be for future men. Yeah, hopefully we can... Uh... Hopefully we can rally the numbers if, if another ballot initiative that unfavorable comes up. And I've said this all along that I've seen wolves in the wild. I've listened to wolves howl in the wild. Um, and they're a cool damn animal. Um, I was not, I, I was not, and I, I know that the, for sure the cattlemen and resident hunters of Wyoming and Montana will cuss at me if they're listening to this. I, I, I don't know that I was totally opposed to the Yellowstone reintroduction of wolves. I think it was a cool thing um, to have them back on the landscape. And now I'm, I just don't get how you would want to drop them in the middle of, of the state of Colorado, especially when they're obviously already migrating in. You know, but, but we, we have wolf problems now before from, from from somebody else's wolf introduction, you know, and and uh, I whatever I I hope I hope that as those ballot initiatives come up, I hope that the wolf thing has another effect that it also kind of galvanizes, kind of galvanizes our our side of the debate and like oh shit we we gotta go you know we got maybe there was some folks that 
that stood on the sidelines not thinking the wolf reintroduction would pass and maybe it shocked them a little bit and uh and uh, I hope so because there's got to have to be a lot of education and debating and discussing to turn the people to win another ballot. You know what's really going to be amazing is that we come out of the wolf deal, which we don't have wolves on the ground yet from an introduction standpoint. But stop and think our elk populations and our deer populations primarily, plus the agricultural side of things, livestock de- depredation and so forth. You put wolves on the ground with no management objective, no, no ability for lethal offtake. No 10J rule from the federal side in place, and then put a ban on mountain lions, and then what's next? Turn around and, and completely ban on bear hunting as well. Uh, you put the three biggest apex predators on the landscape, and they start being detrimental to the elk population, the deer population, more than what they already are. Why do you need hunters? And but I've always thought that that's why they're attacking predators, because, and especially as you why they're attaching predator hunting. Exactly. Is because if you have a, a surplus of predators, which also if you live in, in downtown Denver, not a big concern of yours. You know, not, not a, you know, lions, wolves, and bears are not a great big concern of yours in downtown Denver on a day-to-day affecting my life basis. But that is the quickest way. Right now, even automobile insurance companies would help you fight to maintain having deer hunters, right? To, to mitigate losses there. But all of a sudden, if there was a massive decline in, in deer, elk, even moose, um, you know, it's a, it makes the argument for the management of those things. If, if you explode the number of predators, those numbers decrease um, the vehicle accidents, the crop depredation from elk and, and deer and, and moose, those things change. And all of a sudden, you just have an explosion of predators. You're absolutely right. It, that, that now they're going to start an argument that we don't need to be out in deer and elk and Los The less ungulates you have from the predator populations, the less revenue that can be generated from the license side of it or the management side of it. And it, it is a trickle-down deal. And if you, it, there again, if, if you look at the blueprint book, and see, it's not particularly related to wildlife, but it is related to every aspect of, of what they believe and how it should happen. And it's, it's worth paying attention to because it's calculated and it's strategized and it's intended to turn around and stop all of us from doing what we want to do. I always like to give you a chance on this one too, of what, if, 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 you're, a, if you're a hunter in anywhere, but specifically to this conversation in Colorado, um, and you're not doing anything, what are, what, what's your recommendation? What, what's a guy need to do to help get involved in the fight? Well, the social media stuff is, is, it seems to be the topic of the day that everybody thinks that they get on and do a post or show a big buck or, or talk about what they're doing for this upcoming season. And they think that that's good enough. Or if they're a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, or if they're a member of the Colorado Trappers and Predator Outers Association, they think that that's good enough. What I would tell them in any other state is to, is to make sure that they don't sit and watch the train go by. You better either stand in the tracks to try to stop it, you need to derail it, or you need to jump on board and overtake it. And the only way to do that is get involved, get engaged, be some sort of a buffer and a barrier to what the opposition is trying to create. And that's organizationally, but, it's, but, but a lot of those organizations are not created to turn around and do what we do on certain levels in Colorado because they're 501c3s, 
They're worried about membership. They're worried about habitat conservation, and they're worried about fundraising. And but they don't fight. They don't fight like what you need to fight. People need to show up to commission meetings. They need to write letters. They need to show up to, to legislative hearings. They need to know their legislators. They need to participate and they need to know who their managers are and they need to figure out a way to get engaged. And that might be different in Arkansas than what it is in Texas or different in Montana than what it is in Pennsylvania. But I tell you what, we've got the best system here with the North American model of wildlife conservation. And if we don't defend it, they will bastardize it to the point to where they take it away. And what we sat and, and wonder what happened to something that was 125 years old, will be gone. And our kids won't have it. Our grandkids won't have it. And we'll be sitting there, turning around, and want, want to know how fast that train went by us. And there's also, it, beyond the, um, I think that's the most important part. Like, to me, it's fighting for my right and future generations to do it. The weird thing to me is, We've also got the science on our side. You know, like we also have burgeoning populations of nearly everything. I mean, I know there's some portions of the, the, the winter was tough on, on, you know, there's some year by year issues with populations in pockets. But you look at the last 60 years, 80 years, uh, North America, nobody comes close. To accomplishing what we've accomplished with wildlife populations, um, and again, that's the part that just fucking dumbfounds me. Like I don't, you know, you, all these people sitting in the Capitol making up these laws. They, I don't understand why they don't just look at a chart of populations <laughs> of everything and go, these guys might know what they're doing. Because everything's, and I mean, everything's going well. But Tony, the, the, the worst part about it is we're not vocal enough. We don't, I guess, he don't profess our wisdom from the science-based, license-driven component of the North American model. We don't profess it enough, and we don't fight back when the opposition turns around and does what they do. We, we think that it's, it's okay to turn around and, and be complacent with mediocrity because it's not going to happen in my backyard. It's not going to happen. They're not going to do that. Well, by God, then they turn around and do it. And you wonder, okay, well, maybe I should just start hunting here or I should start hunting this or I should start hunting with, with this. And we just change our tactics on, on the recreation side of it. We don't actually get engaged to right. No, 100%. We, we uh, om almost fold and give up and go find another place to to do it or move or something, you know, instead of standing and fighting. A if, if people spend as much time fighting the fight when the issues came up and in preparation for it to be proactive as what they do on all these social media sites, if they just spent a glimmer of that time to actually get in people's faces politely, professionally, and get to know the people that are making these laws, rules, and regulations, uh, we, we, could, we could make a big difference on stuff, but we don't get it. I'll give you a, a quick example before we move on. But the five-year mid-game season structure meetings that have gone on around the state that, that over the course of the last three or four months, this should be the time when sportsmen come out and speak. In Gunnison, they had 10 sportsmen show up. In Denver, they had 18. In Colorado Springs, they had 14. In Walsenburg, they had four. This is, but the guys will gripe and moan and groan a bitch about, I didn't get this, and they're doing this wrong, and they haven't done this. But they don't show up to voice their opinion. So the managers turn around and say, well, everybody must be happy with it. There's no big changes that we need to make. We'll just turn around and do what right. we need to do. Right. That's what happens on the animal rights side is because enough of us don't show up and the opposition shows up in full force.
Right. And uh, yeah, no. And I, I'll be the first to admit that I am guilty of not wanting to go to those meetings. I just thought there's other things I want to do. And, yeah. and I, and I, I need to get better at it. Um, and we'll get better at it. Um, I don't like that side of it. I wish I could just type a type of text to somebody and solve the whole problem and then go back to my garden and my fly fishing and getting ready for antelope season in a month. You see how prices you turn around and go out and buy a license for something and you find out you can't. No, I know, I know, I know. And I know I I'm fully on my I'm sure to admit that uh I mean I and I do I do things. I I think I maybe do uh slightly more than the average bear um, but definitely that get in my truck and try to not lose my temper at one of those meetings is not something that I really look forward to. You got it from my perspective. I've been doing this. I've run this walleye control business and the pest control side of it for 37 years. And they're trying to take every single thing away from me on that. They're trying to take the gun issue away. I'm a federal firearms dealer. They're trying to take everything that I do at every single level, rule me, regulate me, or crush me to death. And it's everybody that's in this sort of business, whether you're an outfitter, whether you're a hunting guide, whether you're a houndsman, whether you're a pest control guy, whether you're an ag producer, they want to stop it and they create more laws, rules, and regulations. And if they can't get it done that way, by God, let the people vote on it and turn around and make a ballot issue out of it. That way, the people have spoken and the, the, and the, the administrators themselves haven't made any bad decisions. Yeah. I'll tell you, too, that I get sideways on the ballot initiative thing because. I think that's, they just won. You know, like, like we lost that. You know what I mean? Like, we can't get mad at anyone on the wolf thing except for us. Because that is, it's, I think it's a bad way to manage wildlife, right? But it is the fairest way to make a decision. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we just lost that. We lost it. We didn't get to the people and educate the people and debate and discuss and cuss with the people right. that we needed to. That was our fault. We lost it. And, and I, I don't think that's necessarily true about other things where the governor can appoint people to a commission. You know, that was uh, maybe we lost the, the governor election is the right. thing that we lost there. But, but uh, they take it to a ballot initiative. We have to stand up. I mean, we got to set up, we got to set up folding tables in downtown Denver that say hunting mountain lions is okay, change my mind, and sit there for weeks with those, with that booth manned by people and just talk to people walking by. We've got to go and do that. One of the, one of the saddest things, and statistically, I was, uh, I was told by Mark Duda with responsive management uh, out of Virginia, and and he said that the average sportsman is a member of seven different organizations, and they get counted seven different times. So we're actually, our numbers are essentially magnified seven times. The average animal rights organization, uh, their members are members of two. So when they say they've got 34 million, they probably have 15 and a half million. Right. When we say that we have 11 million, we probably have somewhere in that neighborhood of three or four million. Right. Ours is magnified so much. But while we're out wanting to do what we do, they're out there to actually trying to take it away. And it's really hard to message about a concept of, of the end result is to essentially kill something. And I think that that's where the emotional side comes into it. 
And that's where we need to change our tactics. We, we need to look at it as a personal privilege and a right, but also a sustainability side of things, a substance side of things, a management side of things, an ecological, a societal side of things. Everything that we do benefits all of those people that are trying to take it away from us just by the fact that they know that it's there, it's being properly managed, it's being paid for, they don't have to do it, but we do a piss poor job of selling that. And we just turn around and act like we're waiting for six weeks out of the season to kill something so we can hang it on a wall and put a blood and guts deal on Facebook. Yeah, and yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Then we are, uh, we're very, uh, I, I think it's a personality thing too. I think people that like to be out in the woods by themselves don't like to go to commission meetings and argue with people. You know, I mean, I think there's some of that. And and then you have a group of people that are looking for a cause and, you know, save the mountain lion kittens is seemed like a good cause when you put it that way, you know? Um, and so it, it's definitely, we definitely got the, uh, when the, when the argument is laid out to the public, if we don't get in and explain and get detailed and use data, would we look like the bad guys to the city kids? Yep. You know, we just do. And, and, and uh, I do see a lot of, I, I see, a, I think COVID as much of a, I don't want to get oh, yeah. political about that, but I do think there was a whole bunch of people that are like, man, maybe I better learn how to hunt. Um. I see some positives. I, I see some swings of there's there's some there's some very non traditional looking acting talking people that are now hunting and fishing and realizing the management and 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 you know fresh natural meat is a good thing and those kind of things. Those are all positives for us. Um, but man, a, another ballot initiative is is going to have to be, especially in this state, is going to be a dues. Let's let's switch stuff. Let's get positive. You don't know this. You've got a uh, you've got an event coming up, August eleventh and twelfth, in the big town of Florence, Colorado. Yeah, which also also happens to be where my address is. I don't quite live in the city limits, but it's where I'm, Florence, Colorado, is my uh, my place of residence now. What what do you got going on? What's what's Outdoorsman's Days? So Outdoorsman Days is two full days of interactive. Uh, activities for the general public, uh, outdoor-related type stuff, hunting, fishing, archery. Uh, there'll be game-calling contests, an ugly hunting dog contest, a kid's fishing derby, some archery competitions and, and tutorials. Uh, Colorado Parks of Wildlife is going to be setting up their, their registration for their hunter education online, and the certification will actually uh, take place at the event. Uh, we've got uh, some, some vendors, the instructional seminars that we ha have over the two days, uh, interactive component of that where people can go watch a, the demonstration on, on li actual live gutting, uh, skinning, processing, bears, mountain lions, uh, other wild game, beaver skinning, uh, like I say, elk calling, wild game cooking, uh, two full days of activities. And then on that Friday night, August 11th, uh, we'll be doing a, uh, a presentation with Colorado Parks and Wildlife on the bobcat and mountain lion studies that have been done here in the state that are still ongoing. And right after that, then uh, yours truly will introduce you guys uh, for, for Blood Origins on the debut of the Lionheart video or documentary that you guys are doing. I'll let you talk about that, and then I'll tell a little bit more about the event. Yeah, Lionheart will be our first. Uh, it's a, we're calling it a full-length 
Um, not completely done with the editing on it yet, which makes person a little nervous. Here we are, like uh, forty some odd, thirty some odd days out from the uh, preview, but we'll be done and ready. Our first our release of our first feature length documentary, Lionheart, is a documentary that we did on Houndsman. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to misconstrue it. It's not really a lion, a mountain lion hunting documentary. It's a documentary about mountain lion hunters and their dogs. Um, pretty incredible stuff. We will, uh, and we're going to world premiere it that night, Friday, August 11th at uh, Pathfinder Park in Florence, Colorado. Would invite anyone from anywhere to come. If you're coming a long distance, um, make, make a little vacation of it. We, we, we have a great little place to come to here, Canyon City with the whitewater rafting and all the kind of Colorado outdoorsy things, the phenomenal fly fishing. It's literally probably 80% of the reason I moved to this part of the country. Um, but yeah, we're going to have the world premiere of Lionheart that night, August 11th. And uh, as part, in conjunction with your uh, Outdoorsman Days event. Um, and also, you know, in conjunction with, uh, I believe, am I wrong that it's like the largest mountain lion study in the world is that is that a fair statement no that's a that's a that's a true statement i mean it's it's ongoing it'll be nine to ten years upon its completion uh over over a, a significant distance uh north and south of the arkansas river it started out as a mule deer study and then subsequently went into a lion study uh and has been ongoing and and they're they're going through multiple facets of that uh, study to be able to come up with the most comprehensive data available on the plant and and hopefully that sort of data we might be able to use for a ballot initiative or a legislation issue uh if the study is not done uh that'll be privy to information and we might be able to turn around and get something out of it and we might not but i actually believe that maybe the the reason we're hearing ballot initiative rumors is because if they do what they do before the study's done then maybe they can spoof the public and the agency won't be able to talk because the governor would put a gag order on them because it's all privy to information. But right. I get off tra track of that, but it is, a, it is the largest lion study in the world, and it'll be able to provide as much data and comprehensive information for, for management of mountain lions with, with mule deer uh, at the same time. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a cool thing that's happening. I've actually been, uh, ha they've been up here around my house a couple of times setting traps and collars and, and, uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm as excited for that as anything. But I think it's going to be a great event. Phenomenal facility. Um, but that big outdoor pavilion looks like it's going to. I mean, this is uh, this is uh, Florence, Colorado is a small town, but folks, this event is working its way to be uh, bigger than just a small town little event. If you're anywhere near or anywhere at all interested, August 11th and 12th, um, of 2023 here in Florence, Colorado. Again, tons of other stuff to do. If you made a three, four, I shouldn't be getting paid by the Fremont County Chamber of Commerce or something, but this is a cool place to to visit as well. With like I said, fly fishing, rafting, hiking, um, get all of the all of Colorado out of your system here while you're here. So, Dan, how do they get more information? How do they find out about it? So you can go to ColoradoOutdoorsmansdays.com. And it's got the the flyers and the information, the QR codes, and and all the stuff to be able to buy dinner tickets. Which I did want to mention the Saturday night, August twelfth, 
is the fundraising banquet that we'll have, similar to any other of the, of the main game type banquets that that will be going on. Uh, that's one of our fundraising components to be able to provide lobbying representation at the Colorado State Capitol and to work through the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission. And, and to plug the organization, the Colorado Men's for Responsible Wildlife Management, we are the only organization in the state of Colorado that has lobbying representation for sportsmen and women. All the other ones that we partner with are 501c3s. We are a 501c4. And so we can do things differently than what they can. They, they are limited by IRS regulations of what they can and can't do. But their idea is to, and their tax status is to raise money for memberships, for banquets, for fundraisers, for the conservation side. We're not in the conservation side. We support all the conservation side. We are in the fight side. And uh, that's, the, that's what we hope to be able to, to generate some money that night. Uh, we got auctions, raffles, silent auctions. Uh, there'll be some interactive games for, for a lot of different guns. And we've got a, we got a big two-day event there. And I would encourage anybody to turn around and, and go to the website, coloradooutdoorsdays.com. Uh, look it up. You could also go to coloradotrapper.com. And the, it'll take, it has a link to take you to that as well. Uh, but there's camping on site. It's dry camping. There's a lot of lodging in Canyon City and a little bit in Florence. And uh, it'll start at 9 o'clock on that Friday and go through about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. Then Parks and Wildlife will be on. You guys will be on with the debut of Lionheart. There'll be a hot dog and hamburger dinner that night. And then the second night is a uh, prime rib dinner for $45. Uh, the first night with Lionheart is there. Uh, I think that'll be um, supplied for probably 150 or 200 people. But if we need to cook more, we'll cook more. Yeah, we'll figure that out. We're just going to include that. Um, we're going to include that. If you've got a ticket to the uh, premiere of our show, um, the first couple hundred people, we'll, we'll cover uh, hot dogs and hamburgers and sodas or something for you. And I think there's going to be, they're going to be, be some beer on site for the event. There'll be some beer on site. Uh, that, that's part of the fundraising opportunity. Miss Rodeo Colorado will be on site to, to interact with the ag community, the sportsmen and women, and Miss Rodeo Colorado and her sister are both avid sportswomen. Uh, they archery hunt and they lion hunt and they do as much as what they can possibly do in the outdoors. Uh, we're sponsored by a tremendous amount of different groups, and, and I would let you read some of the sponsors off if you like, but Colorado Parks of Wildlife and Fremont County are both major contributors as well as you guys and some others. Yeah, you've got uh, Colorado Shed Company, who, strangely enough, we happen to be sitting in a shed from Colorado Shed Company right now, recording this podcast. Um, I have three of them on site. Davis Tent, like you said, Parks and Wildlife. Kuyu has donated some items. Um, Wild Turkey Federation, Colorado Wildlife Council, SCI, True Value, uh, Blood Origins. I should throw that out that we're sitting on there. Um, uh, Phenomenal group of sponsors. I think you've really put together a cool event. Um, again, coloradotrapper.com or coloradaoutdoorsmansdays.com uh, to get more information about this event. We'll be there. I'll be there. Robbie will be there um, for the premiere of Lionheart. Um, come see it. I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Does the, the event... Is the event cost to get into? $5 per car load to get in. So if you bring a school bus or if you got a, a, a onesie, twosie, or if you ride a, a moped or a mountain bike, it costs you five bucks. Uh, and then, like you say, the, the dinner is complimentary on the first night with the Lionheart video and the presentation by Parks and Wildlife. And the second night is the fundraiser deal for $45 for Prime Brew. So I uh, hate to just talk about the advertisement side of it, but that's how we're going to turn around and fight and defeat some of this stuff at the Capitol and with the Wildlife Commission. 
and we'll take any and all support. Uh, look forward to meeting everybody, and and hopefully we can we can pull this off at this level, grow it to another level, bigger, better, meaner, faster, stronger on the front range, and then figure out what we're going to do to try to sustain what's important to Colorado ones and uh, Colorado hunters and anglers. Perfect. Last time, August 11th and 12th, Florence, Colorado, the Outdoorsman Days. Um, come see us there. It'll be fun. And uh, again, it's it's my hometown, so it's a it's a cool little place to come to. Sure, appreciate it, Cody. You bet. Thanks for your time, Dan. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.